0: Hi, everybody. My name is Charles. I want to welcome you, whoever you're joining us right now, wherever you are, whether you're in Madison, in Dane County, uh, Wisconsin, around the country, or around the world, Uh, to the Chinese speakers uh, joining in right now, to everyone, welcome to Talk Church. We're so very glad you're with us. Now, there is something powerful about statements that begin with, I am, especially in dramatic moments. I mean, who can forget... Tony Starks, at the very end of the first Iron Man movie, when he says in the, in the press conference, I am Iron Man, or Aylwin In Lord of the Rings, she pulls off her mask in the battlefield and says, I am no man. And of course, who can forget? Darth Vader, Empire Strikes Back, talking to Luke Skywalker, and he tells him, I am your father. <laughs> Still get chills on that one. There's something powerful about these I am statements because they are about identity. They, they 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 reveal who we are and what we are about. In the Bible, in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses these I am statements to reveal who he is and what he is about. In dramatic moments, Jesus steps up and proclaims, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the true vine, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. Today we're starting this series that's going to be focused on these seven I am statements. Now, the teaching team, we've been talking about what to teach on this fall, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's in the middle of a pandemic, in a time of increasing, polarizing a political climate with a, with a divisive, controversial election that's coming up, and we feel tired. We feel discouraged. We are isolated from the, our communities, our schools, our work, our church. So many of the things that give us structures in our lives, give us meaning in our lives, they're They're gone. And so we feel far from who we are and we feel far from other people and far from God. So as we talked about all that stuff, what struck us clearly is that right now, more than ever, we need to focus on Jesus because he is the source of our identity. Difficult things come. Life throws things at us that we can't control and that just reminds us that, hey, hey, you know, it's not about us. And it's never been about us. It's always been about Jesus. So what we want this fall, what we want for all of us, is that we follow Jesus together. So yes, we're going to be teaching about Jesus on Sundays. You're going to hear that. But that's just a fraction of what we're looking for here. Because look, seriously, 35 minutes once a week that is not enough to help us follow Jesus. We need to spend time with him if we want to follow him. So two things, prayer and reading the Bible. First, prayer. We're gonna be giving you ideas about how to pray individually and with others. Pay attention, it's coming up in the podcast we're running as well as in the discussion questions for, for the life groups. However, there's a special opportunity for the women in our church at Blockhouse Church, we have this thing called the Encounter Women's Bible Study. It's a great place to dig deep into Scripture and to connect with other women. And this fall, Encounter Women's Bible Study is focused on studying prayer. Highly recommended. I encourage you go to our website and sign up. Now, second, Bible reading plan. We have two reading plans. We're going to be reading through the four gospels together this fall, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, One reading plan is to read through the four gospels in over the course of 90 days during this fall. And the other ones, for those of you who are, you know, like high achieving types, you can actually read all four gospels every month this fall. the, The reading plans are starting now. Go to our website, sign up, and get started reading. And while you're reading, we're going to be providing these how to read the Bible video clips. And they're short and they're fun to watch. And you're going to be like, hey, getting deeper. So watch those on your own, share it with your friends, watch them in your life group. And finally, we want you to dig deeper into the Sunday sermons. So we are starting a, an, a weekly podcast that's related to the sermon. I'm going to be on the first one. Okay. So sign up for Blockhawk's podcast channel. So we have these tools for prayer and for reading, and then we have all these groups and watch parties where you get to share about all the things you are learning. And so the sermon series is really just working alongside all of that. Okay? So here, here is the schedule of the sermon series. And as you can see, it's, the I Am series is going to run all the way through to like mid-November, Thanksgiving, all the way into Advent season, Christmas season. We will take a two-week break, the two weeks before the election, to have a short series on politics and faith, and you would not want to miss that of course, you're, if you're paying attention, you would have noticed that, hey, wait a minute, we don't start the 7-I-Am series until September 20th. That's next Sunday. So what am I talking about today? Well, you see, the 7 I.M. am statements that we're going to be talking about, starting next week, we're going to be focused on the light of the world, Jesus is the bread of life, Jesus is the true vine. You notice we're actually focusing on the second half of these statements. Today... I'm going to be focusing on the first half of these statements. I am. The Greek is ego, ami." Now you're thinking, Charles, you're doing a whole sermon just on two words? Yes. And that is because when Jesus uses these two words, he is making an astounding claim about who he is. To understand this claim, we need to begin by talking about God's name. And yes, God has a name. His, it's a Hebrew name. His name is Yahweh. There is a connection between I am and Yahweh. To understand this connection, we need to understand the meaning of Yahweh. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. It's the, it's one right after the book of Genesis. And this is the passage where God actually explains the meaning of his name. Bit of background. Uh, The story in the Bible runs from creation all the way to the time of Jesus and the church. When God creates the world, he invites humans to to rule the world with him and and to have a loving community. Uh, That doesn't work out. Humans rebel. The world falls into sin and destruction and death. Around 2000 BC, God calls a man named Abraham. He says, hey, with your family, I'm going to build a kingdom. I'm going to use this kingdom to woo the rebellious world back to me. I'm going to use it to bless the world. And so the story of Genesis contains a story about Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, who is also called Israel. His his descendants are called the Israelites. And Jacob, during a time of famine, takes his family and moves to Egypt. And that's where the book of Genesis ends. And so for our book, the book of Exodus, it picks up hundreds of years later, and the Israelites are still in Egypt. But because... They have lots of children, and their population explodes. The Egyptians, they get nervous. And so what they decide to do is try to decrease their population by working them to death. And when that doesn't work, they start to drown their newborn baby boys in the Nile River. I just want to make this clear, okay? What we're talking about is genocide and ethnic cleansing a state policy. The Egyptians, they look at this foreign population that's come as refugees, and they take them and make them s- slaves, and then they drown their children. Now, I hate to be so graphic, but every time I teach Exodus, people ask me, why is God so mean to the Egyptians? And I'm like, are you serious? Okay, sorry, that's not the point of the sermon. Uh, let's get back to the story. So in beginning of chapter three, God approaches a man named Moses. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So let's notice the details. Moses is a sheepherder in the Sinai wilderness. At this point, he's about 80 years old. Now, a sheepherder is an important job, but it's not exactly high on the social status. And 80 years old is getting a little too old to be doing this kind of work. But Moses has no other options. Why? Because he's working for his father-in-law. He doesn't have his own flock. So that's, that's Moses. Let's keep going. There, the angel of Yahweh, when you see the word Lord in all caps in your English Bible, that is God's personal name, Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When Yahweh saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God says to Moses, hey, I go. Bring my people out of Egypt. Now, okay, so put yourself in Moses' shoes for for a minute, okay? Okay. What are you thinking right now? You are an 80-year-old sheepherder in the Sinai wilderness, and uh, you're tending your father-in-law's flock. And a voice talks to you and said, "Hey, go to the pharaoh, the emperor of one of the world's superpowers, and negotiate the release of their slave force." What would you say? I mean, look, I get it, okay? I get, I get this whole hearing voices in the desert thing, right? You're hot, it's thirsty, right? You know, you hear voices telling you crazy things, but usually, you know, they, they tell you things that are kind of reasonable, like maybe, you know, like maybe a building a baseball field in in a farm in Iowa. Yeah, yeah, we just watched uh, Field of Dreams. That's building a baseball field, okay? Here, the voices telling you, "Hey, go to the leader of a world superpower that's known for genocide and murdering children." Yeah. So Moses' response, I think, is most appropriate and most reasonable. Here's what Moses says. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? That is the right question. That is the appropriate question, right? Hey, God, you want to rescue your people? Awesome. Kudos to you. But you got the wrong guy. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. How does God respond? And God said, I will be with you. (laughs) Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Meaning, who you are does not matter. It's who I am that matters. You know, that old breakup line. (laughs) Oh, it's not about you. It's about me. It's not you. It's me. Now, if that's what God says to Moses, and that leads to the obvious next question, which is, who then is God? And that is precisely the question that Moses asked next, even though he does it in a very diplomatic way, because, you know, when you talk to God, you got to be a little careful. So this is what Moses says. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Huh. You see, Moses very diplomatically constructs a hypothetical, right? Hypothetically, I'm going to be talking to the Israelites and they're going to ask me a question, what is his name? Now, this is a strange hypothetical, right? Think about it, right? Why would the Israelites be asking for God's name? Because their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all know God's name is Yahweh. Why would their descendants be asking for his name? Well, this is where we have the problem with the Hebrew, okay? Uh, what is his name in Hebrew is Ma Shemo, which Ma is what? Shemo is his name. So, what is his name? Perfect, right? Perfect translation. Except this is a Hebrew idiom. In biblical Hebrew, you, you don't use Ma to ask people's name. You use me. You say, Mi Shemo, what is his name? Or Mi Shemacha, what is your name? Ma Shemo doesn't ask what is his name? It asks, what is the meaning of his name or what is the significance of his name? And that's exactly what Moses is asking. asking is, Moses is asking, what is the meaning of your name? And he asks us because in the ancient world, the meaning of God's name reveals who is that God. And so what Moses is asking is, hey God, who are you? Or more precisely, what kind of a God are you? Now, that is a really strange question that sounds, sounds weird to us because we live in a kind of a monotheistic worldview where, you know, we believe there's really only one God. But not back then. People back then believed in all kinds of gods. And, and gods have different kinds of powers. They have different kinds of spheres of influence, right? So you have the sky gods. You have the sea gods. You have the mountain gods. You have gods responsible for fertility. God's responsible for warfare and fighting. And so what Moses is saying is, hey, God, I know, okay, you are the God of our ancestors. You're our God. Great. I don't know if you noticed, you don't have that great of a track record. You see, your people, you know, that's us. We are slaves being slowly exterminated. All right? And now you're telling me, go alone to Egypt and demand the release of Egypt's slave force. So, I hope you don't mind me asking, what kind of a God are you? What is the meaning of your name? And now we get to verse 14. And we get to the place where God explains Yahweh. God said to Moses, I am who I am. The Hebrew for I am who I am is echyeh, asher echyeh. Ahi is simply the verb to be, first person singular, present tense or future tense. So I am or I will be. A share is relative pronoun. Which, who, what, that. So I am who I am. I am what I am. I am that I am. There it is. Well, what does that mean? Well, theologians, they have a tendency to go you know, philosophical or metaphysical. They, they, they see the verb to be, they think, ooh, this has something to do with God's essence or God's ontology, right? They talk about God's being eternal or he being uncreated, he was, he is, he will be. Or, or, or they talk about him as being some kind of the ground of being in which all of us are rooted in or participate in. Now, all of that sounds pretty cool. All of that sounds plausible. Why? Because the text doesn't actually say so here's what I think. I think that when we read this verse in context of the whole story of Exodus, does not mean anything philosophical or metaphysical. No. is about attitude. I don't know how many of you have remembered Popeye the Sailor Man cartoons. It's pretty old stuff. All right. and, and for those of you not familiar, uh, Pop- these cartoons are pretty much kind of a paid advertisement for the spinach industry. Um, Popeye is a sailor who gains superhuman power when he eats spinach, canned spinach. I kid you not. <laughs> Clearly, back then, children were much more naive and much more open to blatant manipulation. Um, but that's not the point. But do you guys remember Popeye's catchphrase? What does Popeye say? I am what I am. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I am what I am." a share. Now you're thinking, he's joking. I'm not. What does "pop" I" mean by "I am what I am? Well, a logician would say, what well, it says absolutely nothing. It's a tautology. A is equal to A. It doesn't say anything. Well duh, it's not about logic, it's about attitude. I am what I am. I'll take care of you. I am what I am. I'm bad. I am what I am. I can take on anything. When Moses asks God, what is the meaning of your name? He is not looking for a discourse on the metaphysical reality of God's essence. No, 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 no. He is looking for the answer to a much more practical question. Can you handle this? Can you handle Egypt? I mean, really, can you really handle Egypt? Do you got this? Because look, I have a life here. I have children. I have family. It may not be much, but it's all I got, and I don't want to just throw it away. So, what kind of a God are you? What is the meaning of your name? And God says, I am who I am. I got this. I got this. Trust me. I got this. God said to Moses, eh ye, asher eh ye, This is what you are to say to the Israelites, "Ehyeh has sent me to you." This is where God starts explaining how how Ehyeh asher ehyeh becomes Yahweh, right? Because "I am who I am" is a cool name, but it's kind of long, it's kind of hard to use. So the first thing God does is he shrinks it down to just "I am," just "Ehyeh." Now, but even then, this is kind of a weird name. Like, okay, okay, it's great for God. Like, hey, who are you, God? And God says, I am. Very cool. Very godlike. Sounds great. But it's hard for other people to use this, right? Like, okay, what is the name of the God you worship? I am. You're what? It sounds like a who's on first skit. So verse 15, it takes us to Yahweh. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. You see, Ahia goes to Yahweh. Echyeh is first person, I am. Yahweh is third person, he is. Or if you expand it, he is who he is. Who is God? Oh, he's who he is is Yahweh. When we go to uh, Exodus chapter 6, God actually explains the meaning of Yahweh even further. And and this is now, uh, you know, a couple chapters on, Moses is now in Egypt. He has had a meeting with Pharaoh. It does not go well. The Israelites are freaking out because Things have just gotten much, much worse. So Moses goes to God and just kind of like, ah, what are you doing, God? You haven't done jack. And so God responds to Moses' freak out in chapter six, verse one. Yahweh said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. Did you catch that? Right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they do not know God as Yahweh. Now, this is where we need to understand how the Hebrew verb... To know works, you remember. To know in Hebrew isn't just intellectual knowledge. It actually includes experiential knowledge. So a better translation would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They do not experience God as Yahweh. Rather, they experience God as El Shaddai. What does that mean? Think about it. Think about it. How do Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob experience God in the book of Genesis? If you remember the stories, right? Well, see now, Abraham's wife, Sarah, can't have children, so God helps her get pregnant. Uh, same thing with Isaac's wife, Rebecca, okay? And that happened. And then uh, there's a couple scrapes that, Genesis, that Abraham gets into, and God has to help him get out of those. And uh, uh, Jacob, he, you know, God needs to protect him from his uncle and from his brother. And of course, there was this big famine, and, and you know, God helps him find food. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they experienced a God who helps them bear children, gives them food, and offers personal protection. What I'm describing in the, in the ancient world is a personal God or a family God or a clan God. Okay, I know, I know, this sounds kind of weird, but this, that's a thing in the ancient world, okay? El Shaddai is a family God, is a clan God. El Shaddai is a powerful God who operates on the level of the individual and of the family. And what God is saying in Exodus chapter 6 is that you ain't seen nothing yet. I am more than just a clan God. I am more than just a family God. I am the God who judges nations. And what's going to happen in Egypt will be unlike anything they've seen before. They're going to experience a God who will crush one of the superpowers of the world. They're going to experience a God who is going to exact punishment on a country who decided to make that horrifying decision to drown infants and to commit genocide. They're going to witness the full extent of God's fury and his justice. They're going to meet Yahweh. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with the outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. Are you feeling it? Are you getting what Yahweh means? this passage makes it crystal clear. It's not something about metaphysical or philosophical essence. No, it's all about attitude. I am Yahweh. I am what I am. I am about power. I'm about all sufficiency. I'm about being whatever the situation requires. I am Yahweh. The word Yahweh shows up about 6,000 times in the Old Testament. And... uh, that's mostly in the Old Testament, and when we get to the New Testament, we have to remember that we actually switch languages. And um, in the Old Testament, it's written mostly in Hebrew, some part of it in Aramaic. In the New Testament, it's Greek. And so when we move from Old Testament to the New Testament, remember Yahweh is a Hebrew name. So where is Yahweh in the New Testament? Well, one of the places we find where Yahweh is, is in the Greek phrase, Ego amy. Right. Remember, Yahweh is he is. It comes from echia, I am, and that goes into Greek as ego amy, I am. Now, we need to be careful because, you know, ego amy simply is I am in Greek. It, it doesn't, you know, it, it, you don't, you, every time you say it, you're not claiming to be Yahweh. But when Jesus uses these words, when he uses egoimi in these dramatic situations where he's making a pronouncement about who he is, his personhood, his nature, his power, his purpose, his function, oh, there is an echo to the name Yahweh. He is making a claim to be echya asher echya. He is saying, I am the one who has all the power. I can handle anything you throw at me. So at this point, Beginning of the sermon series that's all about Jesus, I want to begin with a question. Uh, do you know Jesus as Yahweh? Now, some of you are thinking, well, <laughs> I know now, but that's not what I meant. Remember, remember, the Bible tells us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they know God's name as Yahweh, but they do not know him as Yahweh. They know him instead as El Shaddai. They experience him as El Shaddai. They, they experience him as a God who knows him, who cares about him, and takes care of them and helps them. I think for many of us, that's how we relate to Jesus. I, 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 I lost my job. I need a new job. Jesus, help me. My, my business has is, is, is gone bankrupt. I need to secure that loan. Jesus, help me. I need to pass that test. Jesus, help me. We, need to, we want to conceive a child. We can't. Jesus, help us. Our, our, our marriage is going through a rough patch. We need help. Help us through this. I got cancer. My life has been turned upside down. Jesus, help me. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we know God's name is Yahweh, but we experience him as El Shaddai. And I think for most of us, when we begin to follow Jesus, that's where we start with. We see Jesus and, and experience him as El Shaddai. And that's as it should be. That's how it should be. Why? Because we are broken people. We are selfish. We're envious. We have a predilection to lie, to make bad decisions. We have dysfunctional relationships. And on top of that, we have a body that, that gets old and breaks down. Ever since I turned 30, 50, I've noticed that like maybe like 30% of my conversations with my friends are about kind of the medications we're using. Slight exaggeration. But you know what I'm getting at. <sighs> And on top of that, we live in a broken world, right? We have we have a broken physical world, of, of, of environmental catastrophes, of, of of climate change, of wildfires, of pollu- of pollution, of hurricanes, of pandemics. We live in a broken political world, full of inequity and exploitation, violence and injustice. And we live in a broken cultural world that celebrates values and behaviors that you tell us is not what you have in mind for us. We are broken people living in a broken world and we need help. Some of you listening right now, you're you're, you're like, I feel like life is totally out of control. Things are coming at me so fast and, and the stresses and the struggles in my life, they're just overwhelming me. I can't do this. If that's where you are, I'm asking you right now, come to Jesus, the God who is El Shaddai, the God who knows you, who cares about you, who loves you, who wants to speak into your life to bring order out of chaos, who wants to heal your broken relationships, who wants to give your life meaning and direction. And I know some of you listening right now, you've been following Jesus for a while and things are going okay. And I want to challenge you. I want you to go beyond seeing Jesus as El Shaddai and to start seeing him as Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Yahweh is the God who operates on the world stage. He is the one pulling the strings, He is the one establishing nations, judging nations, punishing nations, and destroying nations. He is the one who knows that merely fixing our daily problems isn't going to do it. It'll help for a little bit. But what's needed, what's needed is a new authority, a new power, the kingdom of God on earth. So he is the one who rescues a group of slaves out of Egypt, puts them in a place called Palestine, organizes them into a kingdom and establishes a monarchy, waiting for that one day when Jesus, the one who says, Ego me," will show up and become king. Yahweh is the God who dies for us and resurrects to destroy the power of sin. And he is the one who calls the people to himself, the church, the people of God, the kingdom of God. And his spirit is working inside the church, working inside the people, transforming us, organizing us, using us as a tool to redeem and transform this broken world. If you see Jesus as that kind of a God, you see Jesus as Yahweh. So what does that look like? When you pray for your friends, for your classmates, for your coworkers, for your loved ones, when you pray that they come to know Jesus and worship him as Lord and King, you see Jesus as Yahweh when you care about the church, when you care about the welfare of the people of God locally and globally, when you volunteer, when you serve, when you give, because you want to see the kingdom of God grow, you see Jesus as Yahweh. When you care about Jesus' reputation more than your own, you see Jesus as Yahweh. When you work, to establish justice and equity in our community because you know that Jesus wants to establish his justice in our community, you see Jesus as Yahweh. When you see everything you say and do as you being Jesus's ambassador to the world, you see Jesus as Yahweh. And when you regularly ask yourself the question, what am I doing in my life to help further God's mission for the world? you see Jesus as Yahweh. Because when we see Jesus as Yahweh, our focus, our gaze comes off of us and our problems and they go to Jesus and what he is doing in our world. And that's what this series is all about. It's all about what Jesus is doing in our world. Seven I am statements from the God who says, I am who I am. I can handle anything. What does Jesus do in a world that is lost in deep spiritual darkness? I am the light of the world. What does Jesus do in a world of hunger, physical and spiritual hunger? I am the bread of life. What does Jesus do in a world of alienation, of deep isolation and loneliness? I am the true vine. I'm the place where you find belonging and identity. Every one of these statements flows from the power of I am, flows from the God God who says, directed toward a broken aspect of our world. That's what's coming up in this series. I am so excited. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you to jump into this, not just to listen to the sermon series. No, 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 no. no. I want you to jump in to the watch parties, to the, to the groups, to the encounter Bible study. I want you to dive into prayer and reading the Bible because I want all of us to follow Jesus together. Let me pray for us. Father, you are the great I am. You're the one who says, asher, You're the one who says, I got this. I have totally gotten this. You can handle anything. And us, we're nobody. We're powerless. Broken people in a broken world. We call out to you for help. Those of us who are like, God, we need an El Shaddai in our life right now. We need somebody who knows us and cares about us and who can help us in our pain and our suffering and our challenges and our difficulties. Answer us, Father. Answer us as El Shaddai. But Father, we also know that you are Yahweh. And for many of us here, we yearn to get to know and see and experience you as Yahweh, as the one who is our powerful, the one who is pulling the strings on the world stage, the one who is controlling everything and the one who's more powerful than the forces that oppose us. We yearn to see that power in our lives and in our community for the transformation of the people of God and the transformation of the world. We want to see you as Yahweh right now. We want to see the God who says, I am Yahweh. So we give you all the glory and all the thanks and the praise. You are our God, our King. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.